0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. How you guys doing? Hello, everyone. Hello! Welcome to the Nick Wilson Show.
1: Sounds like a typical bastard. So we got
0: in Nick Wilson's mind? My mind is a raging torrent flooded with rivulets of thought. You're about to find out. Ooh, look who knows so much. Nick Wilson is on now.
2: Sports Radio 927FNC. We enter the noon hour of the final hump day. Edition of the Nick Wilson Show. Only three shows to go. Now it's more like two and a half shows to go. So if you've missed any of uh, the first half of the final Hump Day edition of the Nick Wilson Show, WFNG.com for the full hours, bits, and interviews. We got another interview. Bill Ryder, writer than you on CBS Sports Radio and CBS Sports HQ. He's going to be joining us in 20 minutes. We're going to ask him, is there a restaurant he can't but help defile himself at? We'll also ask him about the Donovan Mitchell stuff. We'll, we'll ask about the NBA play-in tournament, all this stuff coming up. Five questions also coming up at 1240. But uh, there is something I do think, and I don't think folks in Cleveland or most folks in Cleveland have, and I don't even think the Cleveland Browns have acknowledged this fact. Here is a real fact, or what I think is a fact. I don't know what you or I can definitively say is Baker Mayfield's ceiling. One of my biggest frustrations about the Browns moving on from Baker, and listen, they you know, they were justifiable in doing so because Deshaun Watson became available and agreed to come to Cleveland. And there's no team out there that, if Baker was your quarterback, through what you've seen the four, first four years, there's no team that wouldn't trade that for the player that is Deshaun Watson. All the other stuff, all the nonsense and the you know off the field concerns, that, that's a whole nother conversation. But I mean, you even saw it. Carolina was willing to make that deal. Uh, the New Orleans Saints were willing to make that deal. The Atlanta Falcons were willing to make that deal. So from a football side of things, I totally got the Deshaun Watson thing. But there's been this narrative in Cleveland that Baker is who he is. That, well, we've seen the best of Baker, and that's just about as good as it's going to be. The reality is, there is one year that was a definitive best for Baker Mayfield. And it's the year everybody's talked about. It, it's 2022. But Baker Mayfield and his ceiling, I don't know definitively still what it is. And I've watched every single game the guys played in. Whether I've watched it live or whether I've watched it uh, on league pass or watched uh, condensed games, I've watched every game the guys played. I was going back the other day on uh, my NFL Network subscription, and I was going back or an NFL.com subscription. I was going back and rewatching some of the stuff, and the reality is, Baker does have some pretty significant moments where he was the lesser version of himself, and and the lesser version of himself is a guy who gets way too happy trying to throw the ball down the field, uh, a guy who is 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 not patient enough with with throwing the under, a guy who's trying to do too much. But from a physical talent, like Baker isn't the most athletic guy. He's not the biggest guy. I I don't think he's undersized. He's, he's not an average NFL height quarterback, but the guy's built thickly. Like this isn't the same as Kyler Murray, who looks like a smurf on the football field next to all the, the giants around him. Baker Mayfield, the build of a player matters. If Cam Newton had been 5'11 and still as built as broadly as he would, I still wouldn't have cared about the height. But Baker's not a huge quarterback. But there are some things that the guy does really, really well. One, since he came into the NFL, because Arrow likes to do that, right? Everybody loves to throw out the, well, if you look at his numbers, the last four years, which doesn't really tell the tale of Baker Mayfield. But one of the stats that does is he's got, I think it's the third best deep ball accuracy in the NFL since coming into the NFL. This isn't Teddy Bridgewater, who was too afraid to throw the ball down the field. So... To everybody saying, well, Baker's a mid-quarterback and that's it, case closed. Mid-quarterbacks don't often have the kind of arm talent and deep ball accuracy that Baker has. I think the number one thing holding back Baker Mayfield has been the Cleveland Browns. It's been the turnover of the organization. He mentioned it yesterday. The the four, uh, having to learn four offenses in his first four years. And by the way, that's not just learning the playbook. That's learning the offensive line calls. That's learning uh, some of the turnover that they've had around him. in uh, in having to learn Odell Beckham Jr. And then having to learn Jarvis Landry. And then having to learn all the personnel that was continuously changing. They overhauled that line halfway through his time here. So... This is not to tell you that Baker is definitively going to be a franchise quarterback. I don't know. But there are a lot of people who have wanted to speak in certainty on Baker Mayfield. And you know, I'm, a, I'm, to, I'm totally comfortable speaking in certainty on quarterbacks. A year ago, I was pretty definitive that Sam Darnold was trash. I happen to be proven right here. Scott Fitter yesterday was like, uh, hey, uh, you know, when we protected him, Sam Darnold was a pretty good quarterback. Which is interesting because Sam Darnold's clean pocket stats before coming to Carolina are not good. Another telltale sign he's a bad quarterback. So I'll talk definitively about quarterbacks. But there have been a lot of people suggesting that Baker is only a bridge quarterback. He very may, he very may well end up being that. And if that's your highest expectation, I'd rather you have moderate expectations than doing what we did with Sam and doing what we did with uh, Teddy Bridgewater and doing what we did with Will Greer and Kyle Allen, which is way below the uh, proportions out of the water. But there have been a lot of people saying Baker Mayfield is a system quarterback and average quarterback. Statistically, that's what he's been since coming to the NFL. But they're still sealing with Baker Mayfield. I think the question now is, can Baker get comfortable enough where the best iteration of himself comes out? Where he starts to trust the guys around him in the offense? Can Baker get comfortable enough with Ben McAdoo and and Matt Rule? Can he trust them enough to be the best version of himself? And can the Carolina Panthers? And I think it starts up front. Baker Mayfield's uh, numbers behind uh, a blitz or behind uh, a, a, a broken pocket aren't great. Also, uh, they aren't great for most of them. By the way, most quarterbacks struggle under pressure. Uh, Adam the was on here earlier this week, and he was like, "His numbers, his numbers when the pocket breaks down are awful." Yes, as do most people. I've seen uh, Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl in two years ago, the second half of that Super Bowl against Tampa Bay. He looked like a shell of himself. Quarterbacks good quarterbacks do better when they've got a clean pocket. That's a that's a that's a fair axiom. But I wanted to get to this idea with Baker Mayfield, because it brings up a, a question. What is more important with Baker? Is it twenty plus touchdowns or is it ten interceptions or less? I, and I want to give him credit again, because I, I kind of uh, teased him earlier. I thought the Mac attack did a great job talking about Baker Mayfield and, and trying to get a more realistic look about what his best has been and what it, his best will be. I think the most important thing, they've had plenty of guys who cannot throw interceptions. I don't think Baker's biggest problem last year was he threw too many interceptions, I think bigger, Baker's biggest problem last year is he didn't throw enough touchdowns. I can live with 13 touchdowns or 13 interceptions from a quarterback across 16 games. I, I can't live with only 17 touchdowns. For this thing to go, and, and earlier in the show, we asked you, if, if you can lock in Baker for 17 games, what's the ceiling and what's the floor of this team? And I think they're a lot higher. I, I think the ceiling is a playoff win for this team. I think the floor is probably 8-9, and 9-8. Nine, nine and I, I think the only way that you don't take two steps forward this year is if Matt Rule really craps the bet as a coach or as if Baker doesn't play a full season. This roster is in a great position to succeed. But the biggest problem with Teddy Bridgewater wasn't that he kind of had that turnover happy stretch midway through the, the 2020 season. The guy didn't put it in the end zone enough. Well, Baker's best season, he, bo- he threw 26 touchdowns and only had seven interceptions. But if you could get that to 32, 33, 34 touchdowns, if that meant 11 interceptions, I'll take it. I'll take a guy who's willing to win you games and it might occasionally lose you a game. 704-570-9610, what's more important to Baker this year? Is it having 20 or more touchdowns or 10 interceptions or less? In the meantime, I've heard on the MAC attack this morning, the Sam Darnold crazies were out, the Sam Darnold apologists were out. Well, now, and I'm, I feel bad about doing this because I just said so many nice things about Baker Mayfield. We're now going to be joined by edgy Sam Darnold, Sam, I, I know I've had some things to say about you, bro, but I, I'm sorry that your starting job has been taken, and I'm sorry you got to do the quarterback
3: battle, bro. Oh, bro, bro I, I'm I'm hurting. I I'm, I am so hurting, man. Through this whole process, man, the hell was Xanax. I went I went to black uh, label uh, Johnny Walker, uh, but I've had to go to therapy, man. Do you know what kind of therapy that i have had to go to, bro? What kind? I'm, I'm having to go to surf therapy. I, I I was surfing the other day when I heard the news that we we got Baker Mayfield, and I fell off my surfboard, dude. And the sand was like right there, and I hit my head, my bald head, you know. I shaved my bald head, and I, I just had an epiphany. And I, I I'm like, I've got to do something else to remain the starting quarterback. I'm going to get me some barbed wire tattoos on my, uh, on my arms. Maybe it'll make, maybe it'll make me throw better. So your this response,
2: bro, your response to the Panthers trading Baker
3: Mayfield is to
2: get even edgier.
3: I I, I can't stand it. Why, why couldn't this guy go on and just take, didn't his daddy own uh, Mayfield ice cream? Why couldn't he just go work for his daddy? <laughs> I, that's what I heard. I, the rumors and uh, leave me to throw the passes.
2: <laughs> All right. Edgy Sam, best of luck in the quarterback competition. Love you, I'm, buddy.
0: I, I,
3: I'm going uh, to miss you. I'm um, going to miss you, Nick. I'm going to miss you too. Go to Cleveland. See if if the Panthers cut me, see if the Browns will let me play. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what
2: I can do there. Edgy Sam, be good, buddy. Uh, edgy, Sam Darnold there. I love what he said. I think the only solution is to get barbed wire tattoos. I was done for. Uh, I'm going to start smoking camel lights now unfiltered. That's, that's how I'm going to handle the Panthers trading bro for Baker Mayfield. Uh, edgy, Sam Darnold. Also 804 number saying, I didn't realize Sam Darnold was from Gastonia. Gastonia. Uh, or sorry, he is from Gastonia by way of Southern California. Everybody knows that. Oh, my God. That was edgy Sam Darnold. Uh, the question is, what's more important with Baker Mayfield? 20 or more touchdowns this year or 10 or less interceptions? More on that. But Bill Ryder, writer than you on CBS Sports Radio Network, he joins us live from Spain to talk uh, the latest in the NBA on Sports Radio 92.7 FNC. Radio 92.7 FNC. Welcome back to the Nick Wilson Show. Five questions coming up in just about 20 minutes here. In the meantime, a lot of interesting stuff coming out of the NBA. The play-in tournament, here to stay. Uh, That kind of clears the way. It's something I said yesterday, and reports uh, after the show kind of hinted at that, that now this kind of clears the way for Adam Silver to to have and start pushing towards his in-season tournament he wants. Also, Donovan Mitchell could be on the move, the the Jazz, or at least entertaining the idea and entertaining offers for him to talk about the entirety of the NBA here, how it intersects with the Charlotte uh, Hornets. We welcome on, on the guest line, host of Writer Than You on CBS Sports Radio and CBS Sports HQ, Bill Ryder. Bill, welcome back to the show live from Spain, my guy.
0: <laughs> Hola, what's up, buddy? So
2: can you, can you set the scene for us? Like where in Spain are you? What does it look like? Does, is it, does it look right now for you as good as it feels like it should look? And like, as I'm visioning it,
0: it's pretty amazing. I'm in Barcelona right now in an apartment I rented for the month working from Spain, which has been quite the amazing experience. I'm not a morning person, so I get to get up for my early radio show at about 1 PM every day. It's, I have dinner every night at midnight with my kids. It's magnificent. I'm looking at a little backyard courtyard with a basketball court and palm trees and a bunch of Spanish apartment buildings, thinking about how much I love it here and how bad I am at speaking Spanish. All
2: right, that's fair. I, uh, I there was one point because uh, I, I dated somebody in high school that that spoke fluent uh, Spanish while I was taking my fourth year of Spanish, and there was Bill. I could talk Spanish now. I can barely speak English. Like I don't know when I don't know when I lost the ability, and I, so I grew up in a Hungarian household. I used to be able to know everything anybody was saying around me and speak pretty fluently. I can barely say string four words together anymore. I don't know if that was the year, year thirty, everything just dropped off. I don't know if practice makes uh, perfect, but I am right there with you. And again, I can barely speak English. I you know I can barely speak
0: English as well, and I used to be able to speak Spanish and English, and it's just. Same, same deal, my friend. All downhill as I've gotten older.
2: So let's get to the NBA side of things here. Uh, the NBA play-in tournament here to stay for the foreseeable future. Do you think that the play-in tournament is good for the NBA? I
0: do, and, and Nick, I was, I was skeptical about it. I, I don't like change. I'm a creature of habit, and I, I guess I occasionally bristle and get annoyed at the idea that the NBA regular season doesn't matter in part because I think it's set unfairly and in part because it probably gets a little too close to home. And I think this tournament has made it interesting whether you finish 6th versus 7th or you finish 10th versus 11th in a way that obviously was never true before. And I don't think it hurts that one of the, fir- the first incarnation we had Lakers versus Warriors, but I do, like, against what I thought was my better judgment, I think more competitiveness, games that matter more, a sense that something is significant at the end of the regular season has value and does for the NBA.
2: So then that brings us to the in-season tournament, which is I think like a bucket list item for Adam Silver. Like he's got to get this done before he leaves the the NBA commissioner's office. How do you make the in-season tournament relevant for both players and fans?
0: Although I think it's I think it's three things. I think it's money. I think it's time, and I think that it's luck. I think money's the first thing. You have to incentivize these guys in a really significant way. And I, and I know talking to people around the NBA and in the league office that the notion is at least early on of making it significant, maybe for teams that aren't going to win an NBA championship, but that are really good and really interesting, and maybe teams that have a lot of young players. right? So think. New Orleans or think Atlanta before guys get those big contracts where maybe you offer one or two or three million dollars per guy on a team that wins. That's money is the thing. Time, I think if you if you implement it, if it's going to work and there's no guarantee it will, and it just takes a long time to go from being an oddity to something that you sort of care about. To ten years or fifteen years down the road, it's fairly significant that you won the in season tournament. Nick, and two years ago, couldn't have cared less because I wasn't. I didn't understand the, the premise. I've become a weird, obsessive soccer fan in COVID and a Barcelona fan. Part of the reason I'm actually here is just fell in love with the city, fellow of love with the football team, the soccer team. So I sort of have a concept of, okay, they've got these league tournaments they have in, in European soccer. I've seen it be successful. And then I think there's just luck, the money plus the time. And you just have to get lucky and have some compelling games and have it work. Because, again, it's not a one- or two-year timeline that you can test like you can in the playing tournament for an in-season tournament to work. I think it has to happen over a five or six or eight or decade long timeline.
2: Bill, do you think auto playoff bids or auto top six seeds or top four seeds? Do you think that would do you think that would be on the table for a potential you know the the, the winning prize of an in season tournament?
0: Dude, I think you hit it. This, you nailed it. This is an Adam Silver passion project that he is. I don't even think it's wants to. I think he will get it done. I think it will happen because it's what he wants. And I think he will seed whatever is required to get it approved in the CBA and to not just have it approved by the players and by the owners, but to have it somewhat embraced. So I think, like any negotiation, he'll give as little as possible to get it done. But yeah, if it requires, and I think a four seed, for example, right, just an automatic four seed would make it, I think people would hate it. I think there'd be a lot of arguments against it, including so you have a really good first two or three months in the seeding of the play in of the of the mid-season tournament, and you get lucky in a little run, and all of a sudden it negates half the regular season. Those are things that Silver, and frankly, whoever comes up with negotiating this has to sort out. But to answer your question, yes, I think anything that gets over the finish line, whatever's required for Adam Silver, he'll deliver on because he wants to get it done.
2: Bill Ryder, writer Than You on CBS Sports uh, Radio Network and CBS Sports HQ on the gas line talking the latest in the NBA. And I think the NBA and the NFL are in rarefied air because for the most part, when, when we talk about what's the problems with the game, we're nitpicking. Like in baseball. The problem is not enough people are watching it and people are tuning out because the gameplay, because of the relationship between the owners and players and its fans, like the NHL, it's a relevance issue. That's not really the case. The NBA knows who it is and they know they're tweaking their game. That's what I think the NFL and NBA are doing. But if we had to say the biggest problem with the NBA, what do you think the NBA's biggest problem is at the moment?
0: So I, I don't know if you guys played this or heard it, but I, I love Nick Saban. I think he's so smart. And He was talking about college football and the movement towards super conferences. And he cited on a, on a podcast he was on, Saban cited that the fact the NFL is king because everything they do is, is geared toward competitive balance. And Saban's sort of explanation was if, if the NFL could wave a magic wand and have every team be 8-8 eight and eight going into Week 17, that's exactly what they'd want. And so I think that is what the NBA craves and covets and needs to have happen. And so to answer your question, long, roundabout way of saying, I think this ability, I'm so annoyed by it and I've written about it, the ability for players and the acceptance by front offices for all the reasons I understand, that players can demand an exit from a contract. And Kevin Durant's such a galling example because they built around him. He's got four years left. And not just that. Not only I want to leave a contract that they sign, my written word, a contract that's legally binding, I want to demand where I go, and you're going to make it happen. I think that undercuts all of the really good work that was done in the last CBA to create some of the balance that you've seen to allow Milwaukee to be incredibly competitive. I mean, just go down the list, like Utah, until they blew it up, really competitive. Where you're sitting, I think they've got a pretty interesting future because there's a CBA now where they can keep their young guys if they draft properly. Just go go down some of these mid markets and smaller markets, places like where I'm from, you can now be successful, but not if guys can just say, like, take Zion. I'm his deal. I want to be here. He locks in the money. He's unreliable health-wise. You have to take the risk. But the fact is that if Zion's a bust, the Pelicans are stuck with him. If he's not a bust, he can just demand he's a nick in a year. So for me, that is the most – they have to find a way, and it's not easy, but to break this notion, to destroy this idea that players who sign contracts are able and allowed to to force their way out and to force their way to very specific places.
2: Bill, let's look to some of the names you mentioned. Uh, Kevin Durant asked for a trade. Kyrie Irving could be on the way out as well. Do you buy into the idea Brooklyn can and will hold on to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving despite Kevin Durant wanting out in Brooklyn?
0: So it's a great question. This gets down to what we're talking about, right? What is the um, the appetite of Sean Marks, who runs basketball GM in, in Brooklyn, to play chicken with Kevin Durant? Nope, nobody's done it in groupthink and everything. Always take a toll, right? Nobody does it. This is the way things are. Deal with it. I, I think it's unlikely that that, that Sean Marks is going to just is actually going to hold on to Durant and Kyrie because it won't work. They don't. It'll be toxic. It'll be awful. And GMs, as we know, operate in their own best interest first—not a criticism of Marks or any other GM—and then the, then their organization's best interest. And some GMs could survive this and, and would have a lot of time and a lot of capital built up. I, I don't think that's the case for mark. I think if this goes south, if he can't get a, a pretty good and impressive rebuild quickly on the table, he's not going to be the GM there in a couple of years. So I think he'll blink. I think he'll blink. I, I think Durant's going to probably be a member of the Phoenix Suns. I think Kyrie's probably going to be a Laker if the Lakers are willing to attach up or a couple first round picks. And I think the Nets are unlikely to get the return that they should. And it's easy for me to say this from my apartment in Spain talking to you on your radio show. But if it were me in that front office, I'd just hit a hell with it. If I'm going down in a blaze of glory, I'm going to finally do it, put my foot down. I wouldn't move those guys until I got the return that I wanted. But I don't think that's going to be the outcome.
2: So then let's look to Donovan Mitchell. Uh, what does a prospective Donovan Mitchell return look like? And inevitably, where do you think he ends up playing in 2022-2023?
0: Well, based on the Rudy Gobert Bear trade <laughs> uh, and Danny Ainge's history of a, apparently being able to um, put other GMs under hypnosis when negotiating, <laughs> it feels like half of an all-star team but he is, the, is the correct answer. So I think he's going to be a New York Knick. That's certainly what I'm hearing. And the Vegas odds reflect that. I mean, he is even money. To be a New York Nick, if he is moved on by the Utah Jazz, which he almost certainly will be. Danny Ainge not only wants to rebuild, but has a track record of, of not, not just rebuilding successfully, but trading guys that were deemed untouchable, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and just being amazing at weaving all of that in, into gold time and, again, the Jason Tatum thing, trading away the first overall pick said he was going to pick the guy who wanted a three did, in Jason Tatum. And that guy is, a, is an absolute stud. And I think the return is going to be happy. I mean, the thing about the Knicks that I find interesting is I, I, that for me, there's not enough there that I want. There's not enough. There just, you can name any of the players in that roster. I'm not really interested in those guys, but I defer as an observer, as a reporter, as a, as a sports talker to Danny Ainge in a way I don't most GMs because he has a track record, right? He's shown that he can do it. So I think he'll be a Nick. I think the Heat Cannon will be in the mix. I think the Nets are interesting because you start to get into the idea of three-way trades and bringing assets in. Obviously, that's a team that's going to make some moves. But I think he's likely to be a New York Nick, and I think it's going to be for every young player on that roster, every draft pick on the face of the earth the Knicks can give. And I think you'll see Ames taking some of those players and move them on as well, and do a full rebuild.
2: So who gets traded for more in the end, Donovan Mitchell or Kevin Durant?
0: Oh, that's such a great question. So it's so interesting, right? Because Donovan Mitchell didn't demand this. It's Danny Ainge making the decision, which I think changes the leverage game a little bit. The answer should be Kevin Durant. Even though he's going to be 34 in September, You know, even though he's an older guy, Kevin Durant is one of the only players you can put on your team and you can reasonably say, because he's here and everything else doesn't matter, we're a championship contender. I would, I would personally quibble that a little bit, but whatever. That's the reality for most guys in the NBA. Not true of, 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 of Donovan Mitchell. It, it's just not. But I think because Durant has this power we've talked about, and he wants to, he wants to go because he's so selfless, he's so legacy hearted. He wants to go either the team that won the most games in the West Conference, being next the team that won the most games in the Eastern Conference, the Miami Heat. I think he'll go to one of those two places, and, and that means there's no leverage for the Nets or very little. I think it'll drive the price down. I think Donovan Mitchell has the chance, absurd though it is, to get a better return than Kevin
2: Durant. All right, Bill. I ask you this because uh, while I am a mountain of a man, what uh, doctors like to call a weight problem, you are very fit. You live live a a respectable lifestyle. You don't go full fat ass like I do all the time. So there's a conversation that came up earlier in the show, and I knew who I wanted to ask it more than anything. Is there a restaurant or type of restaurant that brings out your internal fatty?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, bro, my, I mean look, I've, I, I follow you on Twitter, and I'm so proud of you for what you've been doing. It's, it's amazing. I am not as fit as I need to be. Now, I play a lot of competitive tennis, but I am like the chunky guy who beats the athletic rich guy, and everyone doesn't understand what's happening. Like, don't me wrong, I'm good at tennis. I just don't. I would not say I'm particularly light, though, and in shape. There's, I mean, a lot of things. I mean, I'll tell you this. Does this count? I like to drink a lot, and they have a lot of cocktail bars in Spain, and I went to a cocktail bar last night after dinner, and had six cocktails or seven. So that probably wasn't good for Operation Lose Some Weight in Spain. And then you put me in a steakhouse, dude. Like you put me in a steakhouse. The problem is I'll have an old fashioned, I'll order a glass of wine, I'll have that steak, and then it's just I guess I should got a surprise and maybe I should get I've done this. I'll get another steak and take half of it home for tomorrow. Should I like to eat? So steak and booze is what really gets me.
2: Oh man, it's so funny you say that. So I went to uh I went to steak forty eight here in Charlotte with Uh, a friend of mine and two members of an NBA organization when they were in town. And there was a moment. And by, by the way, Bill, this is after I lost a hundred pounds. There was a moment where everybody looked at me like, good God, this man can eat another, another level. And I felt like I had exposed myself. Like I was bare naked in public (laughs) because of the judgmental looks we were getting at stake 48. Bill, Uh, you've always been such a great dude. You've always been such a good friend. So I appreciate you for making time in Spain during the final week of the Nick Wilson show here in Charlotte. And I appreciate the hell out of you, buddy.
0: Dude, I want to say to you, congratulations, huge loss for a great city you're sitting in, but a huge gain for another great city. in my wife's home state of Ohio. So this is a tough business, talented people and good people don't always get what they deserve. I love when that goes the other way. You are both. You deserve all of it. Congratulations, brother. I'm so happy
2: for you. Yeah, you are too kind. Thank you so much there. Bill Ryder, uh, writer Than You, CBS Sports Radio, CBS Sports HQ, live from Spain. That's a buddy. That's a buddy who is on, who is chilling in Spain for a month and is like, I guess I'll call Fatty's radio show. I appreciate the hell out of it. Five questions next on Sports Radio, 92.7 FNC. Sports Radio 927 FNC more on the Panthers more to come in today's show but uh, the, the goodbyes continue. Uh, this morning I didn't realize when I when I came into work today that Mac was going to be off the next two days so at uh, at like 10 fi- or 952 today we had like the awkward wouldn't it be nice if we had more time to say goodbye but now we're going to have to do it in between our two shows. Goodbye. Um I think I'll actually be saying goodbye to T Bone and everybody. I think T Bone and I were talking. I might hop in for the final few moments of Friday's show. So, uh, but yeah, it was just I was a little bit late to come back from the break because I was just saying goodbye to the big boss and to Katrina who works here. So, uh, I I the one thing and this is something I always forget about. I always forget long goodbyes are great because you get to really say things. You get to, you get time to really say and speak from the heart. Um, But man, emotionally exhausting. So let's have some fun while I'm emotionally exhausted with the five questions, the five burning questions. They're up at Nick Wilson says at WFNZ on Twitter. Or if you want to read them at Nick Wilson says on Instagram. That's right. Slide into my DMs. But more importantly, just, you know, follow me and and see my uh, Insta story there. Why does that not feel normal to say? Number five. Jamarcus Russell uh, was on uh, Ryan Clark's podcast, and he was asked about being a bust. Here's what he had to say.
3: I'll say my turn out how I wanted it to or not how they expected it to. If you're going to call me a bust like you say, put the biggest on that. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> if you going to say it, put the biggest on that. But that don't bother me, man.
2: I just love the idea that this ego's like, well, you know what? If I'm not going to be one of the biggest and best quarterbacks of all time, then you better call me the biggest bust of all time. Itty-bitty-fitty, who do you consider to be the biggest draft bust of all time?
1: Uh, Jamarcus Russell is up there. It's amazing how much uh, cocaine he did to not crack his ego. Um, I would probably go Ryan I don't Ryan think it Lee. was
2: cocaine. I think it was literally any substance that was out there.
1: I was just trying to make a really bad coke joke. Ah, uh, the old Coke joke. Um, I would probably go Ryan Leaf because of who he was drafted ahead of. Mm-hmm. Um, Anthony Bennett from the Cleveland Cavaliers. Because we knew the second they drafted him, he was going to suck. So here's the thing about Jamarcus.
2: The two, so you mentioned, I mean, like, if Ryan Leaf had gone one to the Colts and Peyton had gone to San Diego, Ryan Leaf would be the biggest bust of all time because that's one of the five greatest quarterbacks of all time going directly after you. He went one pick ahead. So it's not like, you can't say like, man, if you had, if San Diego had just picked Peyton Manning, it wasn't on the board. With Oakland, the first two players off the board after Jamarcus Russells are Hall of Famers. Mm-hmm. It's Calvin Johnson and it's Joe Thomas. Literally any one of those players would have been much better and would not have hurt the Oakland Raiders as bad. And, and here's the thing, because you can throw out Greg Oden who i mean number 2 pick was Kevin Durant uh who else was in that draft wasn't that the Steph Curry draft as well it's 2007
1: no that's pre-Steph
2: okay so it, but it was like now Russ was the next year there were there were multiple hall of fame level talents in the 2007 NBA draft the difference is Greg Oden had injury concerns when you look at the NFL Jamarcus Russell is the biggest bust of all time because it was personality stuff. It was it was immaturity stuff. It was not having the support necessary. There were no injuries that caused Jamarcus Russell to be the worst the biggest bust in history. It was work ethic and not not an organization that didn't know how to support a kid coming out of that situation, and I hate it cuz Jamarcus is one of Here's the other thing. Jamarcus is one of the five most talented NFL prospects of all time coming out of the quarterback position. He was big, athletic, had a howitzer for an arm, did actually have decent intermediate touch, but then it just fell apart. So, number one of our five key questions here, uh, who do you consider the biggest bust of all time? And that can be across sports. Number four, I was listening to Master of Puppets today, and uh, I, it, as I was listening to it, I was just like, "This song is perfect. It kicks ass in the beginning. It kicks ass in the end. It has that really sweet melodic part where the violin, the strings come in in the middle of it. Uh, the the lyrics are awesome. I think Master of Puppets is when I think of a perfect song. Metallica's Master of Puppets is a perfect song to me from start to finish. Itty bitty Fitty, What is a what song
1: do you think is perfect? Every hack song ever. Nah, that was pandering. Yeah, that's, that's not great. Um, revisionist history. So last night was watching some TV with my Momo. Uh huh. And there Turns was. An, up to Momo's couch. Tease and peace. There was uh, an ad playing about a, the, the, the history of the American Pie song by Don McLean. Uh huh. And she didn't know Don the song. McLean, you mean? Yeah. yeah. Or she McLean. She didn't know the, the whole version of the song. So I played it for her, the whole eight and a half minute version. That song, in its entirety, is a perfect song. Yeah, I'll give you that.
2: So the songs that I think of as perfect songs are either incredible, like the the kind of songs you'd listen to for two minutes, and then it's like the song's over. So it's like an incredibly short song, but there isn't a missed note. But the real perfect song, if you can have an eight-minute song like Don McLean's American Pie, which is a fantastic submission for this, really good job out of you. Thank you. If you can have a flawless eight-minute song, that to me is as perfect as it can get. Cause that's composer level crap. You get a song over five minutes that's flawless, like Master of Puppets, like American Pie, a uh, Darden saying Stairway to Heaven. Yeah. Yep. And what's I'm pretty sure if I'm remembering Stair uh, Stairway wasn't a single. Stairway's a seven minute, like flawless song that was not a single. Maybe their most famous song. Uh, Crack uh, a uh, saying Simple Man. There, I uh, you know what I think that might be the most flawless Skynyrd song. Uh, Dougie Fresh saying, Hey, Jude. Now, Question number three. What is your favorite sports attire that you own? So,
1: this is just
2: clothing or anything? Yes, okay.
1: not memorabilia
2: because that kind of goes deeper into the weeds.
1: Um, ironically, the shirt I'm wearing today is like now my new favorite Tar Heel shirt. Uh-huh. Is the Iron Five after the starting five from last year's basketball team. It's probably between my Keith Hernandez Mets jersey or my Tony Romo jersey. So, to me, it's my hat collection.
2: I have a bunch of minor league hats on, uh, minor league like fitted hats. Uh, I'm wearing probably my favorite Guardians hat right now, my, my gray one. I just love my hat collection. I'm a hat guy, and it is one of my few indulgences that I have. Uh, from a jersey standpoint, I will say I have a, uh, uh, a signed uh, LeBron jersey that I got. Um, Before, like, the first iteration when he was in Cleveland that that I got as, like, a birthday present. That's probably my favorite Jersey jersey. Uh, Number two, it is National French Fry Day. Who has the best fast food French fries? Because I'm going to go down and I'll say it's McDonald's. Yes. But KFC is underrated. Whoa. Nope, you haven't tried them. Yes, I have. have. No, you have not. You've not tried them enough. They're beer better. They're fantastic. I will fight you on this, Bro. Also, All right, Edgy Sam. Uh, yeah, fair. I think Arby's curly fries yes. are pretty, pretty damn elite as well. Yes. And then you know what? Another one. I'm going to throw another one out there. Five Guys Cajun fries. Mm. They'll burn. They'll burn on the other end. But I really, really like because they're because I like if it's going to be a, a a fry that has more potato in it it's gotta have it's got to be a little bit uh, not mushy but floppy and it's got to have some real seasoning on it so but McDonald's is the goat for fries for me
1: if they're fresh off the press and they're evenly salted nothing beats McDonald's fries they
2: yep they're, that's they're, actually it's a real thing do you get pissed when they're when they're not properly salted do you get or or if they come out a little cold do you get as mad
1: as I get I'm I'm like three quarters of my way to uh, advertising for PhD weight loss. What do you
2: think? <laughs> uh, continue to send these in, there, guys. Uh, again, the first four questions here: Who do you consider the biggest sports draft bust of all time? What song do you think is perfect? Favorite sports attire, and uh, best fast food French fries. It is National Friday. Um, let's see here: National Fry Day, not National Friday. Friday's Friday. However, Mike Curry saying rallies. I actually like. Rallies has like the, they're the. You can get them in the frozen aisle. They're obviously not fast food, but I like those as well. Mm -hmm. Number one, this is because uh, Tyler Reddick is joining 2311 Sports. Uh, By the way, kudos to to Tyler for joining 2311 Sports. If you could choose any company, any sponsor as your primary NASCAR sponsor, who would you choose? Pornhub. <laughs> uh the number
1: forty-one car, the Port Hub car, really's ramming into the competition today. Like, I would be able to do so much free advertising for them. I would be a great person to give a sponsorship to.
2: Uh, yeah. Here's the thing: most NASCAR drivers would be like, "Well, you know, it's just a sponsorship, and it doesn't really mean anything." You'd be like, "Guys, let me. T- I'm gonna give you. You would have social media. on your social channel. <laughs> you'd have uh, Fitty's top three videos of the day." Guys, this video really got me there. Let me tell you I'm I'm going to do a I'm going to do a nine-part docu-series on AJ Applegate. New bit
1: when you're gone now from the show, me and Willie P. <laughs> oh man, Willie P would would leave the station.
2: Watch this nonsense. <laughs> 704 never saying Pornhub would have to be number 69, right? <laughs> uh, Charisma of the Supreme saying Meat Church. That's not porn related. I remember the first time I talked about Meat Church on air and everybody looked at me like I'm is talking dirty. <laughs> Mine would be Bucky's. It'd be Bucky's or Bojangles, and if I could do Bucky's and Bojangles on the same car, I'd win every Daytona. I'd win every playoff for the rest of time.
1: You do look like their mascot.
2: Which one? Bucky's. Go buck yourself. <laughs> All right, guys, that does it for us. Coming up in the one o'clock hour, we're we're hopping along the hype train on Sports Radio ninety two seven FNC.